What's up, you filthy fucks? I mean that in the most respectful and loving way possible, but let's be real, you are all heathen and you are in need of a great gaming sermon given by the one true prophet of the gaming gods. And the way that I spread the good news of the gaming gospel is, I've been commanded by the gaming gods themselves, me, Moto, the Father, Kojima, the Son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost, who appeared to me in vision, commanded me to create the one true gaming podcast simply by interviewing creative and interesting people about their favorite gaming memories growing up. I'm actually not doing that today. Today, we have our first return motherfucking guests. We have, drum roll, Boom! Patrick motherfucking Hickey Jr. He's been on the podcast before. Google it. He's awesome. We went through all his favorite games growing up. But he also writes a bunch of books about games, researches a bunch of books about games, gets cool stories from developers about games that you've never heard of. He does voiceovers for games. He writes for video games. Homeboy is balls deep all the way in, dripping head to toe and gaming juices. He's been marinating his whole life. And he's an O motherfucking G. And I'm really happy that he came on the podcast again. He is very easy to talk to. I've been telling him he needs to do his own podcast. So please, I will put all the applicable links in the podcast description to his socials and his accounts. Spam him, DM him, send him dick pics, whatever you got to do. Get the motherfucker to do a podcast because he's dope, he's entertaining, and he's... And his brain is full of cool tidbits about video games. Anyway, I had a blast. We talk about his new book that just came out. I believe it's his fourth book in the series, The Minds Behind the Sports Games. And he goes through lots of popular and cult classic sports games through the ages and digs up cool stories about the development and finds the nitty gritty. The shit you ain't gonna find anywhere else. Check it out. Amazon. Anywhere they sell books, he said they're everywhere. So just Patrick Hickey Jr., Minds Behind the Sports Games. I will put the links in the podcast podcast description or... Or you could use this thing called Google and type his name in or type in the minds behind the sports games. The reason I'm being a little bit grumpy is some motherfucker just commented on one of my videos and it was me uh, reacting to the new Cyberpunk 2077 trailer. (laughs) And as you would expect, I lost my shit. I had a grand old time watching the new trailer, the new advertisement. And this asshole comments, where can I watch this without the dude screaming? Well, you're on my page, bro. Like, that's what we do. You could just, I don't know, type in cyberpunk trailer on fucking Google. Like, why are you asking me the question that you should be asking Google? My whole page, every fucking video is me screaming, saying stupid shit on top of gameplay footage. That's like buying a new fucking Dr. Dre album and being like, when is this dude going to stop rapping? Why is he rapping? Why is he rhyming? Well, if you don't want Dr. Dre, go buy fucking Garth Brooks! Anyway, uh, Patrick Hickey, <laughs> Patrick Hickey Jr. is the shit. He doesn't say dumb shit like that. He knows how to handle himself online. He's a very professional, moderate, college professor, all those things. But he can also hang and he can talk shop. Check him out. Buy his fucking books. They're dope. I say these things in the name of Miyamoto Father, Kojima the Son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost. Enjoy the show.
one of my favorite podcasters in the entire world. Killing uh, it. Killing uh, it. Blushing. Dude, you are my first uh, repeat guest. You're the first one. Wow. I feel special. Yeah, you should feel special for all 12 people that are going to listen to this. <laughs> we'll try and make it 13 this time. Yeah, we're going to move it. We're going to bump it to 13 after this episode. That's right. So if you haven't listened, he, Patrick Hickey Jr., he was on the uh, previous episode. I don't remember which episode. How about you give a spiel I think it was, for I think yourself? it was 50. 50? I think so. Probably. Who knows? Take a guess. Yeah. Shoot it. Or you could just Google it, and I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah. Patrick Hickey Jr., Gaming Memories. It'll come up. But we went through all of your favorite games growing up. You gave a little, But give a quick little spiel about who you are and why we should give a shit about your opinion on games. My name is Patrick Hickey Jr., and I am the author of the Minds Behind the Games book series. Um, I'm also the assistant director of the journalism program at Kingsborough Community College. I am the chairman of the City University of New York Journalism Discipline Council. I don't know what that means, but it's awesome. Um, I'm also a voice actor on uh, several video games, including the Padre and the Padre One Shell Straight to Hell, Relentless Rex, the Caillou Offensive, and I am the writer on Kroom. And a couple of other games that I can't announce yet because of NDAs. So, so yeah, I have over 3,000 games. My wife is kind of hot. No, she's definitely hot. So, like, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, your, your, collect, your collection is pushing 3,000 right now? It's over, it's over 3,000, yeah. You fit 3,000 items in that, like, little triangle Harry Potter room? I have no room like, the only thing I have room for right now is, like, 3DS games. It's so bad. I, I don't even know how I continue to make room. It's bad. And I don't want to go digital. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, look, so, uh, I've gone digital, but I feel like it's sort of um almost like I've caved to the dark side of the Force. Mm-hmm. Like, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. But there's a part of me that knows part of my soul died when I made Yeah, I that. like touching <laughs> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, i like having the physical media yeah it's uh and it sounds like so basically you've been a writer for a long time it does seem like you're getting more involved like with the video game voice that voice acting writing for video games do you see yourself like eventually transitioning to that kind of stuff full-time and just ditching teaching it's funny because i was having a conversation with somebody today um i'm, I'm also doing um voiceover for tony barnes's upcoming game uh run die run again tony barnes if you guys don't know who he is he's the um he was the assistant producer on desert strike jungle strike oh. urban strike soviet buffy strike. the vampire yeah soviet strike nuclear strike um buffy the vampire slayer star wars episode 3 strider 2014 uh medal of honor 2010 i mean he's he's a freaking legend and i'm doing vo on his current game and i was just telling him like um how I want to do, I want to do more in the video game industry. I want to do some writing. I, I mean, I'm the voice of a character in a game, like of a main character, like of a mascot game, you know, which is awesome. And Padre 2 is going to be an awesome game. It's like a combination of like Smash TV with like tower, tower defense elements. Like I'm super happy with the way that game turned out. But um, I would be lying if I said I didn't want to do more. So at one at one hand, you have the minds behind the games. I'm preserving the history of all of these games, and I'm speaking to all of these developers and getting their stories. But at the same time, too, I want to create some of my own stories, too. So, yeah, I mean, that's something I would love to do full time. But uh, being a college professor is a sweet gig, and I don't want to give that up either. So yeah. it's hard. It's hard. There's um, <clears throat> I just saw an article, I believe, on Kotaku about a girl. She's in... um. What's that show? Myth- Have you seen Mythic Quest, by the way? The Apple TV original? No. No, oh, is it good? Dude. It's, 
I, I hate everything movies in about video games, TV shows about video games. It's historically been pretty bad. I thought the mm-hmm. I thought the Pokemon one, the most recent one, was actually pretty decent for a Pokemon uh-huh. movie. What was it called? Pokemon. Oh, I saw some of that. I saw like the first five minutes of that. It's got Ryan Reynolds in it. Whatever one that is. Oh, you, oh, you mean Detective Pikachu? Yeah, Detective, Detective yeah. Pikachu was gangster. I thought it was, good. was good. I thought it was like you know yeah, what? I, it's pretty. I good. almost cried a little bit at the end. Yeah, that was You're good. Like, Damn. Um, but Mythic Quest is the guy from It's Always and Sunny of Philadelphia, Charlie. I don't know what his real name is. It's his new show, but it's set in a fictional game development studio that's like hinted very strongly that it's owned by Ubisoft because it's like there's a line in there that's like I'm actually not in charge. It's a like a, congl- a corporate conglomerate based in Montreal calls the shots. They don't uh, say they don't say Ubisoft <laughs> like perfect, yeah. but they but all the the game they have like they're making this fake game called Mythic Quest, which is like a to riff on World of Warcraft basically, and. Uh, it's making all this money. It's huge. And they show clips from like For Honor and Assassin's Creed, but making nice. it sound like it's supposed to be footage of this game, Mythic Quest. I so gotcha. Ubisoft is somehow like allowing, they must, something like some deal went down. But anyway, they, uh, it's actually a really good show. And I don't know why I was, why was I bringing up Mythic Quest in the first place? I'm already, I'm already distracted. It doesn't matter. Oh, voiceover. The girl. Yes. There's a girl. She wrote, it's the girl from Hey, Ask What You Playing. Do you remember that old YouTube series? Wow, yeah. She, um, wow. She, <laughs> That's yeah, a throwback. She wrote, that, that series was funny as hell. Yeah. She wrote a bunch of shit for Borderlands 2, and I think she was Tiny Tina, wasn't she? The voice? Wow, yeah. Maybe. Wow. She might, may or may not. Yeah, I think so. But uh-huh. anyway, she's a voice actor now, and she's a writer, and this whole article was about how she broke into the video games industry doing exactly what you're doing, voice acting and writing. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that she does. And yep. now she's full-time and works on a bunch of games and oh, all that. That would be a dream. That would be a dream. Soon. I mean, I'm just going to keep cracking at it. It's like I try and do a couple of things every day to get myself a little bit closer. Like today, just I was edit, I was editing photos for the PlayStation book. And then um, Mike Froggett, the programmer for uh, C12, the final resistance on PS1, he sent me some answers and we were talking a little bit. So it's like every day, just a little bit more in, in a positive direction. Cause it's like, if you just do like a half hour a day of something productive, Monday and Tuesday, you feel like you've done nothing, but like by Friday or Saturday, you've got like five or six hours of work under your belt. You know, so that's, uh, that's, that's actually that's called the. I've heard some people call it the compound effect, which is my buddy. He, he's here in the studio, Tom Servo, uh, Omar Presswich. He's been on the podcast. He's the social media manager for K Swiss. Does all the social media. He's in town, nice. just hanging out. Um, he K-Swiss taught me for that. Life. Mm-hmm. I always clown him because when I grew up, K Swiss shoes like weren't cool, but apparently they're cool now, and I'm not. Hip, yeah, they're so comfortable as hell too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's what. It, apparently, in the East Coasters, all you assholes like K Swiss. Yeah, when well, my feet were small, I used to rock them back in the day. My feet are too big now, so <laughs> need to make make them in like a fifteen and a half, and I'll rock them. He taught me about the compound effect, which is like. Uh, the idea is that you overestimate what you can do in a day, but you underestimate what you can do in a year. Yep. And I just from like when I started the podcast and you came on super early and me just basically stalking you, being in a little group and seeing, I'm like, if you keep doing what you're going to do, like eventually it's going to get somewhere. But the, Absolutely. Like, the only question is how far. Some people get really good breaks or have good connections. So that process gets amplified a little bit. But mm-hmm. I also know a bunch of people in the music industry where 
I did that for like 10 years and phased my way out, but I know guys that stuck with it and they all got somewhere as long as they stuck with it. Yep. Uh, That's how writing is too. I mean, I know so many journalists that (laughs) frankly aren't very good, but they never gave up and they're still in it. And they're, it's called, some people call it failing forward. You know, you just stick in it and people give you opportunities based on how long you've been there and things like that. I see it a lot in education people teaching classes that they have no business teaching, that they have no experience in, but they've been there for so long and their rank and they've gotten promotions. And it's just like, yeah, so what? So- What's interesting about that is even, so I was implying that if you stick with it and I was in my mind, I would have thought like that includes learning from your mistakes and getting better over time. Oh yeah. But some people don't. Some people don't <laughs> and, and, and it still works. It still, and it still yeah, works. But it still works. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So if, yeah. Whatever you're into, whatever you're trying to accomplish, that should be even more, even more motivation to stick with it. Because in a lot of times, yep. if, if you stick with it and you, and you don't even get better, that can still mm-hmm. get you somewhere. Now, if you stick with it, mo- most people are naturally going to get better. That's the point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it, if there's no growth in what you're doing, then it's like, what's, what's even the purpose? You know, like that's for me, I, at, at times, like I tell people that they, they're like, Oh, which book should I buy? And I'm like, I'll buy the newest one. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because it's the best one. Cause I just feel like I'm getting better be. at yeah. this. And I love the first book. And, but at the same time too, I know that the reporting and the writing is better in, in the last one, because I mean, one of my mentors as a journalist, her name's Eleanor Bader. She's tough as nail. She don't take no crap from anybody. And if you ask her, like, what's the best article you've ever written? And she'll go, the last one. And I'm just like, I love you. Like, you are just, that's the exact mentality that I always want to have. So. Yeah. Um, speaking of books, that's why we're having you on. Your newest one yeah. is the sports games book, right? Minds Behind the Sports Games. Yep. The Minds Behind the Sports Games. The Mind yep. Behind the Sports Games. Is that your, like, official brand voice? Uh, yes, the minds behind the sports games. I'm here with Cade Collin. We're calling Game 7 of the minds behind the sports games. Oh, my God. Terrible. But that yeah, reminded me of, like, uh, I don't know why that reminded me of Sandlot. I don't think there's an announcer in the movie Sandlot, but it made me think of the movie Sandlot. Well, doesn't doesn't the catcher remember? Like, the catcher, like, holds the game when he's talking crap behind everybody's back and stuff like that. Do you remember that part? When they're playing the rich kids? Yes, I do remember that. Maybe that's what was, yeah. Ham, I love that guy. Um, mine's behind the sports games. It just came out. You can get it everywhere, right? Amazon, your website. I'll yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indigo, wherever fine books are sold digitally. It's available digitally. So, yeah, it's available everywhere. So it's pretty and, cool. And the 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 spiel, or I guess the what he what Patrick does is he does the hard work of reaching out. Which I tried this by the way to get guests on the podcast, and it's hard as fuck. So I know what he's <laughs> I know what he's going through. He reaches out. <laughs> He tracks people down that have developed games and he gets a hold of people that are going to like, he gets like real underground shit that hasn't been on Wikipedia or Kotaku or IGN interviews and gets cool stories about games, both super popular games and then cult games that are really like deep cuts for, for video game heads. Now sports games, I, I mentioned before giving the podcast, I don't know that much about sports games, but. I think I might be able to stump you because I looked up a cool fact today. I probably won't because you're you're like a real G more so than me, which is a, which is weird because everyone knows me as the crazy video game guy. And I'm like, you fuckers don't even know how deep some of these fools go. I'm like swimming in the three foot pool. This guy's out there swimming in the ocean. <laughs> okay, so here's my I was going to talk about my guess was the first sports game probably was Pong because Pong is kind of like table tennis and I'm like, hmm, 
that'd be my guess. And I looked it up and I was wrong. So can you can you tell me what the first sports game was? Because it's not Pong. No, I can't. No. Wow. Yes. Ha! Well, I only I literally learned this this morning in preparation for the podcast. Yeah. So it's not like I actually knew. Yeah, there what was, was it? There's a game called um I got to get out of my cuz I looked up AWE wrestling mm-hmm. when you told me that shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's called Tennis for Two and this dude made it on like an oscillator in the 40s. Like wow. A, and it's basically Pong. Let me look it Are up they again. considered that a video game? Okay, I'll find the This is the Wikipedia which I know you hate. But uh, this is what yeah. Wikipedia says. It's a sports video game which simulates a game of tennis. It's one of the first games developed in the early history of video games. American physicist William Higginbottom designed the game in 19... I was wrong, not 40. 1958 for the display at the Brookhaven Nationals Laboratory's annual public... Dis- blah, blah, blah. So it's, it was made on like this... Mach- it looks like, I don't know, like Fallout type. It's look, it looks like a Pip-Boy wow. on Fallout. It looks like a Pip-Boy. <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like. I didn't know that until today. I thought it would have been Pong. Wow, wow that's crazy. And you could argue that's not really a video game. That's the I thing, guess. too. Like, I try and explain to people. like, Because um, everyone always assumes that I've played every single video game and like, the creation of video games. And it's like, every day, I find out games that I didn't even know existed. Oh, you yes. Know? And that... I, it's like as a journalist, I think the thing that separates me from you know some of these influencers and some of these podcasters and stuff like that that not podcasters streamers is that they they assume that they know okay sorry my wife was talking to me that they no know worries. that they know everything about video games but it's like I know a lot about the games that I've written about because I've researched them and and interviewed the you know the developer but there there's a lot that I don't know but that's my favorite part of doing this is that every day I can find out things that I didn't know about so now I'm totally gonna look that up later and I mean that that developer has probably passed away probably but there might be someone around that was alive yeah yeah absolutely so so yeah I guess it would have been pong but uh it's not mm-hmm. I'll get depending on how you define video games um yeah what's the earliest game you have covered in the book the oldest game in the minds behind the sports games in the minds behind the sports games probably earl weaver baseball earl weaver baseball i've never even heard of that or what is that or for? the original rbi baseball oh rbi baseball i know that one mm-hmm. so hold on i'm gonna pull up a a list of the games because that would probably be the easiest way but seven oh no you know what 720 is older and that Cyber Bowl is after 720. So right now, hmm, that's a great question. I would say I probably go back as far as like the early 80s. Like pretty much all of the games, all of the sports games here are like early arcade games or like Genesis or like founding fathers of like, so perfect example, I reviewed, I reviewed, you hear me? I interviewed the developers of the first Madden, of like MLB Slugfest, of Tony Hawk 3, of the first NHL 2K Transworld Surf. So, like, kind of like the main, like, the key games in each of these great franchises. So, I don't go as far back. What year did the first Madden come out? Um, I'm pretty sure it was 91. And for, was that for, for Super Genesis? Genesis? Nine, n- 90, 91. But, but it was actually, this is probably, it's the best chapter in the sports book. It was actually a failed PC game. And what happened was the Madden that we know on the Genesis and the Super Nintendo was actually like electronic arts arcade football. And what happened was Madden on the PC was such a colossal disappointment that at one point, John Madden called it an abortion. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was just like a really crappy, poor frame rate 
great football game that was created by this man, Robin Antonick, and Electronic Arts uh, founder, Trip Hawkins. And what happened was they didn't make any money on it, and it was hurting EA's bottom line big time. So when EA saw that they had this really cool uh, overhead football game, they were like, what if we rebrand this John Madden football and we, we asked John Madden to take a lower royalty rate on this game, then maybe we can get into the black. And Madden agreed because he saw how much cooler, you know, the Genesis he was version like, this was. Is way better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the rest is history. So the Madden that most people have played is not really a Madden game at all. It's pretty cool. And I I know Madden is the big juggernaut for football, like really the only juggernaut for football games, mm-hmm. modern. But when it first came out, uh, since I didn't, I wasn't familiar with sports games growing, I didn't pay attention to them, other than Mutant League Football, which we talked about on our last podcast. That shit was awesome. And Mutant League Hockey is in the sports book. So oh, nice. Was Madden out of the was Madden out of the gate like a big success in sort of a behemoth, or did it slowly? I'm build pretty into sure that? the original Madden sold like 300,000 copies on the Genesis, which means it was a hard core hit because this is the thing in order for a game to to be considered a hit like a massive hit it needs like a 10 percent market share so meaning like um figure if they sold like 15 million units of a system and a game sold over a million and a half copies then it's oh. like a bona fide hit that means 10 yeah. percent of every person that owns a system owns it so i mean at the time of like 1990 i doubt there was more than a million people that had a genesis in 1990 1991 and 350,000 people had madden so like a third of every genesis owners had a mat had madden so it was a runaway hit and was was has madden i haven't followed madden at all again has it been Mm -hmm. has there ever been like a legit competitor to madden oh absolutely nfl game day on the playstation game day i do remember that yeah like game day game day 97 game day 98 those those games blew madden away in terms of playability and uh they were a lot more fun yeah madden madden had a really hard time ea i'd like to say ea in general had a really hard time adjusting from the super nintendo and genesis era to the playstation it wasn't until like nhl 98 and like madden 98 and like nba live 98 that they really got on board and started making the top notch you know sports games again so it took them a little while to get um back in the swing of things it's like NHL, a lot of people don't know this, but like NHL 96 was uh, canceled on the PlayStation because it didn't meet EA's standards. And that was one of the reasons why like the NHL Faceoff series became such a fixture on the PlayStation because that first year of the PlayStation, NHL Faceoff was the only hockey game. And mm. luckily for Sony, it was a great hockey game. So that kind of like built that, that you know, legacy. What happened to game day? What, what, why did it phase out? Do you know? Uh, you know what it, you know what happened? The same thing that happened to Madden in, from the transition from Gen Genesis to PS1 is exactly what happened to Game Day and Face Off and Game Breaker and NBA Shootout. They were great games on the PS1, but they just they weren't on top of things for the PS2. They just they weren't the same games. They they didn't the graphics didn't improve the way people had liked, and they just grew out of favor. And the thing is too, um, the show like MLB the Show has such staying power that like from PS3 to PS4, it's it's just always been head and shoulders above. For like Game Day Face Off all of those other games they were always in competition with 
EA, and I think people respected the EA brand a lot more than Sony Sports back then. So it was always harder for Sony to sell their sports games. And then by the time PS2 came, EA was just in a league of their own. And then at the same time, too, you had EA, but then you also had 2K because the NHL 2K games and the NFL 2K games were great. So Madden had competition from game day. And you also had the Blitz games because all of a sudden now Midway wasn't making arcade games anymore. So Blitz, you know, 2002, Blitz 2003, those were all home console exclusive. So there was more competition than ever on the PS3 and Sony was not ready, you know, to handle itself amongst all that competition. So you had a couple of other publishers really succeed, but Electronic Arts was the one that ended up on top out of all of that. Yeah, I was going to, I made me think of, so the, the three biggest sports games I hear people talking like when I, it's usually like guys, guys <clears throat> who aren't gamers. They don't know anything about games, but they have a sports game they love, and they own a PS4 for that game. And I, mm-hmm. and there's three like and like this type of person. I meet them all the time. Dudes I hang out with like they don't they're not into games at all. But I play 2K, and when they say 2K, yeah. they usually mean NBA 2K. Yeah, absolutely. So how did absolutely so, so like the 2K brand dominated basketball, but they they lost the football. Sounds like see, and the thing is, the sad part is they lost football because they lost the license because Electronic Arts got the license uh, to the NFL. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, like, the NFL 2K games were just as good as Madden, and the last football game that 2K put out was all pro football 2K8, and that doesn't have an NFL license. So, that has all, like, retired players, and you can make your own team based out of, like, all Hall of Fame players and stuff like that, and it's a great game, but it doesn't have an NFL license. So, yeah, the only reason why 2K got out of the football business is because they didn't have a license. So... And does EA have a... Is there a... Is EA having a... Uh, there's no competitor for 2K in basketball, right? There's no EA... Well, no, no. NBA Live is... Uh, oh, NBA, NBA Live. Live is still coming out. But they, they had a couple of years where they took off and a couple of their games weren't very good because they had short development times. But I have to say, man, like right now, um, the NBA Live series, the last couple of years that it came out, was actually pretty solid. If there wasn't like a 2K, I think plenty of people would play NBA Live. But see, the same thing that EA did to other companies by having their brand power be so strong and that hurting better games that's what 2k does now with basketball so it's like Uh. if 2k comes out with a basketball game and it's crap people will still buy it because they expect you know the 2k games to be better than EA. that's like the big brand that's where everyone's going to be playing that's where all the action is going to be at yep it's crazy the other big franchise i see people owning a console for even though they don't play games is fifa but i do remember i do remember is it pes the konami brand being pretty competitive like earlier on i don't know what happened to it now it's still around and it it has like a super hardcore niche audience and um it still sells well it still it still sells in the six figures but um yeah fifa fifa is probably one of like the top three best-selling sports franchises ever it might even be like in the top five video game franchises of all time and that's the thing too um when i started working on the sports uh book i'm like um i have to get i have to get FIFA. And luckily for me, um, I spoke to Jules Burt, who was one of the producers on M- the original NBA shootout on PlayStation, and he is actually the man who designed, co-designed the prototype for the original FIFA. So, that's a chapter in the minds behind the sports games. You can find out all about how FIFA was actually born. It's really freaking cool. That's a good selling point. I mean, yeah, that's, that is one of the biggest franchises of all time. If mm-hmm. when, Man, I can't think of a bigger sports franchise than FIFA. Yeah, absolutely. when you think of, like, in the United States, soccer isn't like that huge of a thing you know compared to like the nfl and the mlb and things like that but um i mean the worldwide appeal of soccer is, is ridiculous it's insane yeah yeah it's insane what's the first sports game you played that you got in 
into? Probably RBI baseball. RBI or, um, baseball. Or, or ice hockey on the NES. Those two games are probably like my go-to. I, I do as remember a, as a playing RBI baseball on the NES at a friend's house and and liking mm-hmm. it. And I remember yeah. I remember thinking the when you were in the batting view, the graphics were like really cool because the sprites were pretty big, like bigger than mm-hmm. your average NES game. I'm trying to pull up some footage, but the f- bro, I'm ads, man. I'm so no, it's okay. The thing ads. that I really liked about RBI baseball was um, it had real players in it. And for me, as a little kid, being like a stats junkie. Yes. Being able to play like with the Mets and seeing like Keith Hernandez's batting average and home runs and RBIs and stuff, that was just for me, that just took the fun to like a completely other level because there there was other sports games out there that didn't have real players and it was fun and I like to play games with my dad and stuff, but then to be able to like hit a home run with like Don Mattingly or George Brett or like these these players that I grew up watching and idolizing, that like made the game mean that much more to me. Yeah. So that I didn't even know that. I mean I think I do remember being aware of who Jose Canseco was and he was in the game mm-hmm. I believe like recognizing yeah. that name but it didn't dawn on me that that would have been a, a sort of groundbreaking feature for an early sports game oh this has like oh, actual yeah. real athletes in yeah, it yeah it had actual real players that had a major league baseball players association license because like what, what would happen is developers before then they would use um, the same stats as the players but use different names and like change the numbers and stuff so if you were smart and you really knew your knew the sport ah. you could you could guess who was who, but um, they weren't allowed to like use the players' names. And like EA later would just use the number of the player, and then like have the rating be based on the actual player. So pretty, cra- pretty crazy stuff that they used to have to do back then. It's almost like it's kind of. I mean, the the way GTA does it now with like cars is way more tongue in cheek and obvious. Like mm-hmm. the name instead of being the Bronco, it'll be like the Tonko or, or yeah. something like that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, it, yep. that's kind of like an earlier version of that. That makes sense. Where you can't right you can't come right out and say what it is but if you're paying attention you know what it is absolutely absolutely it's like to the point where like i'll tell you like a funny story for the first um madden um there was a cornerback for the san francisco giants his name was eric davis and he's a good good football player um but his rookie year he wasn't that great he like kind of grew into a pretty good you know uh defensive back but what happened was his wife called up electronic arts and is like i know that's my husband why is his rating so low <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So like the the players like really cared about their ratings, and then like NHL took it like a step further because they had the players' names and and, and they had a book. Like when you bought the book, when you bought the game, the instruction manual had the rosters for all the teams and all the players, and it had their rating next to it. So like there's a player on the Tampa Bay Lightning, Sean Chambers, that on a scale from one to a hundred is a one, and uh, Ken Baumgartner is a four out of a hundred, and Ken Baumgartner is like six foot four like 230 pounds and he's like a scary son of a bitch so um he was actually a member of like the nhl players association and he approached one of the ea developers at the time of the development he's like why am i a three i mean why am i a four out of a hundred in the game like what is that and the developer had to actually explain and be like listen your stats da, 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 we ran the numbers and you're a four out of a hundred so it was it was a different time in video game history damn that's awesome that, who <laughs> imagine being that dude uh so so who's gonna tell? Who's 
going to tell him that he actually sucks. I'm not going to do it. One of you guys got to yeah. do it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was Michael Brook that had to tell him. He was the uh, producer on NHLPA 93, and he also was uh, on NHL 94, NHL 95, like one of the founding fathers of electronic arts. And uh, he worked on Earl Weaver Baseball. He worked on Madden. Uh, he ended up leaving EA and working at Sega, uh, producing games for Sega. So he did like NFL 95, NFL 98, NBA Action 95. Like the guy has an impressive resume. And But he had he had a pair of bulls back then, man, <laughs> to say that. And, you know, late 20s telling, you know, crazy hockey players that, yeah, sorry, bro, we had to rate you like a four out of 100. It's nuts. I mean, it's made me realize, it's made me think of you're a voice actor. I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me your best sure. EA Sports. It's in the game impression. EA Sports. It's in the game. Tried to do it like the chip to chip set way, you know. EA Sports. It's in the game. That'll be the highlight for the, the Instagram yeah. post. <laughs> um, nice. It's, yeah, that, I, that made me think of like, oh, that, that was, I didn't even play sports games, but that little intro, I was aware of it and it's iconic oh, yeah. even to me. One of the stories I tell in the book too is not a lot of people know this, but before EA Sports, there was the Electronic Arts Sports Network, EASN. And what happened was the logo looked similar to ESPN and ESPN ended up suing them. What? And they had to change the name to EA Sports. So this, I didn't even know that. This is like super early before EA Sports. Yeah. 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 And this is before ES, EASN, they wanted to call it Electronic Arts Legends. And they wanted to have like all of these games like with like, um, like legendary athletes like Earl Weaver Baseball and Dr. J and, you know, Jordan versus Bird and stuff like that. But then they, they kind of changed course. E- Electronic Arts didn't whoa, 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 want wait. to... There's a mm-hmm. Jordan versus Bird video game? Yes. Yes, there's a Dr. J versus Bird what? game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, it was one-on-one Dr. J versus uh, Larry uh... Bird. Yeah, man. And these these games look like crap compared to games of today, but these these were excellent sports games that had tons of stats, ton, tons of depth for early sports whoa. game. You know, they kept track of the, the shots you made, the shots you missed, and like the algorithms were rocking. Like these guys were rock stars that were making these games for EA. They set the tone for a lot of the games that we that we have today. Without these games, you would not have the games that we have today. Um, what happened to Tecmo Super Bowl? Because that was like the juggernaut before Madden. Mm-hmm. What I think happened was EA came up with this idea that what we're going to do is we're going to put out a new sports game every year. Oh, uh, yeah. And, okay. And the thing is, that put a lot of these developers under a ton of pressure. So a lot of people don't know this, but there's a there's a very big chance with some with, with sports games today that like the same team that worked on NBA Live 20 isn't going to be the same team to work on NBA Live 21. It's going to have different people on it. There's going to be a huge turnover and stuff like that. But there's like 200 people on that team now. Back in the day, back in the day, in 1992, 1993, it would take these guys nine months to make a game and it would only be five or six of them. And what they would do is they would be super burnt out by the time it was finished. And as soon as the game was done, they had to start the next one. Or the whole team got shifted out and a new team came in. So it's like, perfect example, NBA Action 94 was developed by Mal uh interactive nba action 95 was developed by uh park place two different development teams but sega published both of those games so to the average gamer they just think it's a continuation of the series when in reality the only thing that those games have in common is the name it's It's two completely different basketball games developed by two completely different teams so ea really changed the dichotomy of video games and the fact that they were like you know what this is what we're going to do we're going to release a new sports game every year to reflect that 
season, and we're going to have new features in, in the games and da 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 Because, like, think about it. Tecmo, you have Tecmo Bowl, and you have Tecmo Super Bowl. And those games are, like, a couple of years apart because it took that long to make yeah. a game. And EA was like, nah, nah, we can make a ton of money. Like, we're talking... 1986, 1987, 1988, like Earl Weaver Baseball, you could actually um, create players, create stadiums. They had download discs that you could download and update rosters. You could create players. You could do all of these things in, in the 80s on, on a PC. You could mod the hell out of the game. You know, um, EA was totally ahead of the curve. Like so many people shit on EA now, but man, like without what these guys did, the video game industry would be markedly different. Like if you look at the features of a game like Earl Weaver Baseball, every baseball game after that one takes all of those features and makes them like a key component of their of their game so crazy crazy stuff it kind of seems like the pattern not just with game developers but businesses in general is mm-hmm. you have some sort of trailblazer like you say with Earl Weaver baseball they trailblazed a bunch of stuff that every yeah. baseball game had after and someone who can, mm-hmm. someone who consistently trailblazes maybe like Apple eventually that trailblazing is going to give them success that sex is gonna, success sure. is going to create size and then eventually they it's almost like every business inevitably morphs into like the evil corporate conglomerate mm-hmm. it's like this yep. pa- it's just like the pattern of life almost it's weird absolutely and you know what it is too it's like I, I hate when people are like um oh, all these AAA developers and it's like you know what it is all of these AAA developers started off as small indies you know Activision EA Ubisoft I mean they all started off as small little companies so the thing is you can't shit on them because they did good business yes like i hate i hate when people like oh ea sucks oh all the microtransactions it's like listen if you don't like microtransactions then don't pay don't pay don't play to pay uh don't uh pay to play and and they'll stop doing it i got sucked into one though i, I gave in mm-hmm. they got me but ubisoft Which got one? me with assassin's creed the egyptian oh, yeah. origins yep. because the grinding was like that took so much time and i'm like i'm an adult and i want to see this cool shit and i want to beat the game i'm just gonna buy one of those experience packs i ended up spending like 80 bucks the only time i've ever spent anything on any sort of extra and and i felt so taken advantage of and dirty that i've never done it since Mm -hmm. but yeah, I, you're right. I, 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 the rest of my, I don't, I don't. You don't have to spend that money. You mm-hmm. don't have to. It's just my nephew. I have two nephews. One's seventeen, and one is uh, eleven. And they buy DLC all the time, which DLC is fine. But like, they buy stuff with Fortnite. Oh, the skins pack, the this, that. I'm like, if you yeah. just play the game, just play the game. You know, and and what happens is they spend all this money playing the game, and they 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 think that they're good. And I'm like, <laughs> you just spent more money than me. You're not better than me. So. It's sad in a way how things used to be. I used to have so much respect for like the kid that would be able to get like all of his Pokemon on like level 100 and max out their stats and blah blah blah. And now it's just like now you could just cheat and do whatever the hell it is that you want to do, you know? So it's a different time. I feel so old right now just talking like this. But <laughs> yeah, I mean it is it is interesting like that these these big publishers, which we brought up Ubisoft and we were talking about Assassin's Creed. Ubisoft is one that like they gained more steam after I was a little bit older. So so I feel that I mm-hmm. have a little bit more of a reference point of how yeah. <coughs> Ubisoft went from like during the Splinter Cell days, I didn't view them as this evil corporate conglomerate. They were just a badass, no, no. badass game yeah. company that put out badass shit. Absolutely. And like for me before that, like on the on the PlayStation, like with Rayman, they just made really pretty games and beautiful worlds. And like when, when we got to Splinter Cell, it's just like they had this 
really cool sense of atmosphere. Like whatever game they made looked good, sounded good, had a, had its own unique sense of style, and just yes. felt good. You yeah. know, so yeah, yeah. And uh, like I've seen that, I've seen them. Rayman is actually one of the early PS One games. I had a neighbor, bless his heart, that was like like 10 years older than me and I would come over as a little mm-hmm. annoying ass tweenager can I borrow your Rayman can I he had Rayman yeah. he had Raiden like the so top good. down shump like Raiden sh- so Raiden. good yeah, Raiden. Yes. yeah yeah yes. He had Raiden. Raiden's great um, he had WWE Wrestlemania some sort of wrestling game Jumping Flash yeah Battling a Jumping Toshi Flash and, um, anyway yeah Rayman and I remember like that's that's a good point you brought it up like back then Ubisoft to me was this like outlier like they, Rayman was unlike anything Anything. Yep. That's yep. crazy. crazy. Do you remember Gex? Yep. The 2D Gex? Oh, well, see, that's the thing. In the minds behind the PlayStation books, which is going to be my sixth book that I'm currently working on, I got Gex Enter the Gecko. So I'm going to be talking to the one of the developers on that game. Gex was so good. Is that uh, before he went 3D? I don't, re- the, I don't remember the No, no, no. Yeah, this was the 3D one. This was okay. the 3D one. But yeah, I love the the original Gex is my favorite one, too. The side-scroller. Well, I didn't, I didn't play the Enter the Gecko. It was on 64 as well, right? I believe. I remember, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yep. just I yep. played the side scroller, the original one, and what I liked about Gex, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they carried this on with the Enter the the Gecko, was like the pop culture references. Everything was yes. like pop culture, movies, music, yep. and he yep. was like this wisecracking kind of for me as a teenager, like a little crass, a little edgy, yep, talking shit. It always felt like um, an episode of like Mystery Science Theater 3000 had sex with like Conquer, you know, like Great that's what it analogy. just felt like to me. Yes. You know, it was just so cool and so different. Oh, so that's the thing we're talking about the sports game but like i'm working on uh the minds behind the genesis and the minds behind the playstation books now too so it's just like feel free like oh i love all these references that's why i'm doing all these books because we have all these memories with all these games and like i feel like so many of the behind the scenes stories have never been told and i feel like it connects us that much more yes with those games you know so that's like with gex i'm still waiting on the answers for that chapter but it's like i cannot wait because what i'll do is i'll get the answers and then i'll play through the game again and i get such like this like feeling of gratitude getting to understand why the game plays the way that it does it's just awesome Dude, that's actually, that brings up a good question what's your process it sounds like you you obviously have played a game or you're aware of a game you reach out you know you had a certain percentage agree to talk to you you send mm-hmm. some questions do you have like a kind of like a set template that you augment you get questions back and then you play it to sort of prep writing for the chapter yeah it's a little it's a little bit of both it's like it depends on the game um sometimes there's like super rare games that like i know very little about like i'll give you an example um i interviewed um tony warner a couple of weeks ago and he did this game on ps1 that i absolutely love called in cold blood but it's like i didn't know a lot about it like i've played it i finished it and it was just this really cool and different like spy espionage game but I had to just go very basic, like with the questions, like why, how was this game born? How were you involved? Just to kind of like fill in the blanks, just to kind of get an idea of where it was at so I could fill in the blanks. But then there's some other games where there's just so much information. So you can kind of hone in on specific things. But I mean, my, my style is basically like re- uh, research as much as I possibly can about the game. Make sure that the game has some type of like following. Make sure that like people care about it. That's why I love Instagram. Instagram is such a good barometer. You know, you do hashtag searches and then you start finding games popping up a lot that people care about. Like, I mean, we've talked about this before on Instagram with LSD. Yeah. Um, so not the drug, but the game. Um <laughs> That so many cool people, too. yeah, I, I wouldn't know, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
a lot of people care about that game, you know, and I was lucky enough to get an interview with the developer, but I mean, truth be told, I didn't get the answers that I was looking for, and I think my readers deserve better than what was given to me, so it's not going to be in the PlayStation book, but I could say that I at least got to that developer. So many people have tried to speak to that man for super was, long. Was so. there anything that, like, you can say that you're going to cut anything noteworthy that he said? No, that is a weird nothing. cult classic game. Yeah, it is. It's super weird and super cult, and it was just basically like he was admitting the fact that he's never been like a video game guy and that um you know it was like kind of like a way to augment like some of the things that he had done in music and um, it was like you know what are, what are some lessons learned and the answer none <laughs> how how would you like the, the game to be remembered no way and i'm just like yeah i can't work like this so i mean that happens sometimes you know so i emailed him back and uh, i was like listen people care about this game and i would if i have to call you up on the phone if i send you more questions like if you want to zoom, like I would just love to like pick your brain a little bit closer and get a little bit more. And he never answered me back. So could he answer me back still? Possibly. Maybe. Stranger things have happened before, but um, I mean, I try a lot more than some other journalists. And I mean, there are books out there with disclaimers in their intro that say, oh, some of the events in this book don't happen the, the way that they, they did in real life. And they've been changed for dramatic effect. And then you have other video game books out there that use anonymous sources, which I think is bullshit that I'll never do. So in that case, I could have, if I was embellishing or using anonymous sources, I could totally write a 3,000 word chapter on LSD. But I feel like video game players and, and fans and historians deserve better than that. And I'll, I myself I myself will never do that. So because of that, LSD will, is not going to be in a book that I do anytime soon. You know, what's interesting about th- that is like how ironic, because that game um, over the years has spawned like almost a little conspiracy theory bubble. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and it might have just, it's just turned out it was a dude that wasn't in the game and made this weird experience and doesn't give a shit about it and there's nothing there's nothing special behind the game that's pretty that's pretty much the story you know that's and but the thing is it's like I, I can't that that's like barely even like a blog post like I could totally write an article based on my experiences and the emails back and forth with him and how what I think of the game and what's been written of the game before but again like all that stuff's been told before and it's like I feel like it's my job doing these books to tell the stories that haven't been told or to provide more context on the stories that have been told yeah already yeah, so yeah. yeah that that one that one hurt you know like when he answered me i'm like yes and then i opened the email and i'm like ah oh, <laughs> man oh i can't use these you know so and it's hard i mean i i am the first one to admit i am a huge huge pain in the ass when it comes to doing this emails back and forth like some of these developers i feel so bad for them because i mean i'm sending them you know we're going back and forth like 50 60 emails back and forth you know or two or three zoom calls or you know this and that the other thing but i always send them the chapter beforehand i make sure that they're quoted the way that they want to be because i mean my books are in tons of libraries now all over the world and i want these books to kind of stand the test of time and i want the these, these developers to understand that their stories matter and that they have a say. So I, I don't think that there's been a developer that I've worked with yet that hasn't like understood by the end like what I was trying to do. And they, they're all appreciative of it. But I mean, some of them that don't know who I am and don't know what I do, they're just kind of like, oh, I'll just copy and paste a couple of bullshit answers together. And then I have to kind of like tell them like I'm trying to do a little bit more, like help me out here. So it's, it's difficult sometimes, but I would say for the most part, the developers are amazing to work with. Dude, that's why I don't get it, man. I mean, 
mean, I told you this last time. You're so goddamn good at talking. Like, I don't think you've said um or like or like stumbled over your words once yet, which is a little weird. Uh, are you yeah. even human? <laughs> Two, if you if you could get them to agree to be on a podcast, you could pr- you could press them and get it out of them. Maybe yeah. like. I, I told a, you last oh. time, I don't know why you're not doing a podcast yeah. version. I don't know. You know what it is? Because it's just, I'm a writer. I know. You got this romantic thing about like... I do. I do. I have this like uber, like writing to me is like Terry Hatcher and like podcasting is like Sally Field, like in Spider-Man 2. You maybe. know, like once upon, a, <laughs> once upon a time, maybe, you know, and I love to, you know, the reason why I can, I can speak well is because I'm a college professor, you know, and that's what I do. I lecture for hours a day, but I just, I don't know. I feel like I've had people tell me all the time, oh, you're so much motivational you're such a such an eloquent speaker and i'm just I, I don't feel it i feel like my writing comes across more my natural voice i don't know maybe one day maybe one day I'll maybe podcast. it's maybe it's like just like a supplement to promote your books like sure. do a podcast maybe. episode or something maybe just try it bro we'll see just try I it i should i should you know what i want to do i had this idea i started this video and maybe thinking uh-huh. you because you're like actually voice actor do you remember the old mm-hmm. pc game zeliard oh my god that's a throwback super throwback i don't know i didn't remember this because i was going to do a video on it i'm like oh i forgot this game because there's a game called chasm chasm an indie game that came out a few years ago that is very similar to zeliard made me think of zeliard i went back and found it that it has this like legit 28 minute intro of like anime slides and i started doing a video of like voice acting (laughs) of the intro and then doing it was like really cheesy that one i I scrapped it it because it was terrible but i thought i I thought the idea was interesting like what if you maybe a way you could promote your voice acting skills is an idea you can have it I'm, i still might play around with this idea but you're better at it it's like you could do like dramatic readings of like nes intros oh my god you know what i mean did or you like, ever watch any of my uh retro roast videos i've seen a few yeah I, it's kind of a so si- similar idea yeah wow i was thinking about you today because like you are the man on tiktok what are you gonna do like aren't they they're taking it down right I don't think they're going to take it down. Yeah. Because I think they said like November 1st or whatever. Yeah. It's worth so much. Dude, the data and the people and the apps where someone is going to snatch it up and, and work out a deal. It's just worth I too much. You. It's just worth too much money. It's worth too much money. Yeah. Wow. And and if like if you're ByteDance who, who owns TikTok and they have a bunch of other apps... If you like stick to your guns and get banned in the U.S., not only do you lose probably trillions of dollars from being banned in the U.S., other countries might follow suit. So your options are lose everything or sell to a U.S. company for something. Yeah, you know what I I mean. So I just Mm -hmm. it could it could go down, but like at the end of the day, yeah, TikTok has grown really well. The Instagram is algorithm is rough. Just is what just is what it is. Yeah, Instagram um, is rough. I'll just keep chipping away. It doesn't matter if there there'll be another. There'll be another something if TikTok goes sure. down. I have all Absolutely. the videos. I have all the. I didn't delete anything. I have everything saved on a hard drive. I can reuse that Smart. content on a You're different good, platform. Yo. Yeah, You're yeah. Good. You're good. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna take a quick pee break, like 35 seconds, because I drank four Same. beers already. Uh, I gotta take a pee break. Okay. And people keep mm-hmm. telling me to stream, but I don't like streaming. Because when I'm streaming, it's like... Because what I do is I get drunk and I play games and I just talk mad shit, which most of it is just... Most of it is not funny or great. And then I just find like the 1% that's kind of funny, edit it together, make a quick like 30 second to minute video. On stream, it would just be terribly disappointing and I've tried it. And it's like, I feel weird knowing that even if one person is watching me. Gaming is like my getaway. I don't want to be like spied on, observed while I game. No, I I think you've got like a good that's a good approach like you just take it's all it's all killer no filler you know i think that's a good approach 
Yeah, and then the funny stuff doesn't happen if I if I I know people are watching because I feel weird. Yeah. Anyway, um, we were talking about the LSD game, which uh, for those of you listening, I'll edit out the pee break. Is uh, just Google it. Just Google it. If you're curious about that game, yeah, it's so weird. You know, a game is also weird that I would love if you could if you knew anything about is that mosquito game on PS2. What, Mr. Mosquito? Mr. Mosquito. What do you yeah. know about that game? I've tried. I've tried to get to the developer before. He hasn't responded to me. So I don't know. I don't know much of anything about it, to be honest. Um, that's the thing, too. Like, um, if I, I think the game is cool and cold, I'll reach out to the developer first. Like, if I don't know a lot. And then if they say yes, then I'll play through the game. Mm. And then I'll, form, I'll formulate questions. I mean, I'm lucky that I know a reasonable amount. So, like, most of the time, I'm prepared before I even make the pitch. But, like, in the case of, like, something like Mr. Mosquito, I, I, I don't even I don't even remember playing the game that much when it was out. I just remembered it as so, like, Western, you know? Like very, it was very like from that ilk of like Katamari Damacy, yes, and like Jumping Flash and like Intelligent Cube, just being so foreign, you know. So, but I know a lot of people really appreciate that game. So that's I mean, one of the reasons up. why I would have it if I yeah. if I could. I've never played it. I just it later I read about it because it became it kind of grew on the internet as this really odd cult yeah. following and so I started paying attention mm-hmm. to it and watching videos but you brought up two games Jumping Flash and Intelligence Cube that no one talks mm-hmm. about which is unfortunate Jumping Flash yeah. blew my mind as a kid I actually played that Intelligence Cube Jumping Flash yeah. oh you play Such a robot a rabbit saving alien little cute animals by jumping yep. around and shooting lasers out of your rabbit ears or mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. It's awesome. It's such a good game. Like, I'm super happy that I have that in uh, the minds behind the shooter games. Um, I spoke to the North American producer, um, Perry Rogers, who's actually, once upon a time, was a member of that legendary United States video games team um, in the 80s. Um, he's just a great producer, worked on some great games over the years, and he, he remembers it as essentially like a really sexy tech demo. Like, uh-huh. they were they were kind of like, there's not a lot to this game, because it's pretty short. Jumbo Flash is pretty short, and... Um, um, they were like, people are going to dig this because of the sense of like scope, yeah. how high you could jump, how big the world felt. But they didn't think that it was going to be like a huge seller because the game ultimately ultimately is like pretty short. Um, that's one of the reasons why they, they had the sequel and things like that. And a lot of people don't know that there's actually a Jump and Flash 3 <gasps> that only came out in Japan. What? Um, mother yes. fucking mother fuck. I'm getting this shit. Jumping Flash yep. 3? What? Yeah. I, it, it's not named Jump and Flash 3. If you write in Jump and Flash 3, it'll probably come up, but that's not the name. But, um, uh, okay, let me see if the, I can uh, find It's it. a small little Japanese development team that um, didn't work on many other games. And Jumpin' Flash's engine is actually taken from another game that they worked on. And they kind of reskinned it and, and they, they added the whole Baron Aloha story to make it Jumpin' Flash. But that was just like a sign of the times back in the day. That they had this really cool engine and they put a really cool you know coat of paint on it. Um, I'm pretty sure if you go on Guinness, uh, it's the first ever 3D platform game um, well i so. just downloaded it it's called robot mondew yep. um and there's gonna be a video soon of this game because i didn't even know it existed so credit it's to funny. you I, I didn't know it existed either until a good friend of mine uh jason wiesner who's actually one of the co-creators of vector man told me about it oh. so i was like holy shit i had no idea but jason jason too is working on a book um he spoke to me for the minds behind the genesis games and he spoke to me about apocalypse because he helped design apocalypse on the ps1 the bruce willis game and um he's he's super intelligent he's worked on so many great games and uh i had done a post 
on Facebook about Jump and Flash, how much I loved it. And he was like, oh, you know there was a third one? And I was just like, no. no. And then I started watching the video, and I was just like, damn. I guess yep. gets me some Jump and Flash straight, baby. Oh. I'm going to play that for sure. So, you, you brought up Vector Man. I want to ask you if you think, I think I might have brought this up on the last one. Even if I did, who cares? I mm-hmm. viewed Vector Man as a kid, because I was a Genesis kid, as like mm-hmm. the answer to Donkey Kong Country for that like 3D rendering type graphic oh, yeah. converted to sprites. Is that what they were going for? Is sort of to Absolutely. The answer they, Donkey they were Kong? Go- not even the answer to Donkey Kong, because you got to remember too, like right around this time, not only did they have Donkey Kong, but they had like Mario RPG, they had Chrono Trigger, like the Super Nintendo was just pumping out. Like yeah. first party monsters, you know? And it's just like Sonic 2 was a game changer, you know? But I mean, how many other mascot games can you have? Like the Sega just didn't have it. Yeah. They didn't have other mascot games like that. And Vector Man just came along at like the perfect time. It was a really cool idea. And the team at Blue Sky, they um I don't think they had success with their other games even like remotely close to Vector Man because they did like Ariel's Little Mermaid on Genesis. They did um Ren and Stimpy, which is really cool. I like Ren and Stimpy. Um, they did um, Desert Demolition um, with Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner, which had some really cool graphical elements to it, but it wasn't like a huge seller. But for some reason or another, man, they just they hit pay dirt with Vector Man. Yeah. From the story, the music, the gameplay. I mean, it just hits on so many levels, and it's aged beautifully. It still I plays mean, good. To I me, played it recently. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That 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 to me that game gave the Sega Genesis like another year of life, you know? So yeah, it's a classic. It's still a classic to this day. I would love for them to bring back that series, but it, I think it would be so hard to get that that team back together. There was so much drama at Blue Sky at the time, and that's the thing. Uh, in the Genesis book, um, I speak to a lot of that team on pretty much like four or five different Blue Sky games are in the Genesis book, and uh, oh man, there's just so much drama. Like the shit that these people had to put up with to make games, like politically, socially. Like I felt bad for them. Like they're, and they're great people. So Vector Man was never easy in development those guys put up with so much to make sure that that game came out on time hmm. that that's i mean that might be the unsung story of almost every mm-hmm. development studio of what do game development for those who don't know is like quality of life might be one of the worst jobs of all time oh yeah it's, it's like terrible um, i was interviewing uh david perry who a lot of people know for like games like mdk um Ooh. aladdin um yeah mdk and aladdin are probably like the two big earthworm gym and um during like pretty much the entire aladdin cycle on the genesis he was sleeping in his car and you say oh yeah he's sleeping in his car the guy's six foot eight so <laughs> damn <laughs> i mean just imagine that like you're working so late that it makes no sense to go home and you're just sleeping in your car and then you're this like mammoth of a man you know so these guys put up with a lot of shit in order to make their art and then that's the thing too it's like whenever i go in a, a GameStop and i hear people talking about games i jump in and the first thing people say is like oh you don't know anything about video games and then i have to like pull like the do you know who i am and they're like no so it's like i'm nobody like i'm an author i've interviewed a ton of developers i've done some voice acting but like man like uh, an amazing like our guys carmack you know carmack could walk into a GameStop and start talking about doom and some like 18 year old kid would be like you don't know what you're talking about you old <laughs> boomer blah, blah blah and it's like no bro that's carmack that actually reminds you know? me of something you said on your on our first podcast that i've actually used this line a couple times credit to you mm-hmm. is that it's not 
Like, if you see a movie, let's say you go and see Tenet, you know who Christo- Christopher Nolan is. You understand yeah. that, like, that's the mind behind that game, behind or movie behind Inception or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, the like, somehow the way the video game industry... Like, there are breakouts. Like, people know who Cliff Pazinki is. They know who Hideo Kojima is. There's a few. But for the yeah. most part, we don't... Like, even me as a, a, a gamer, we don't know... I don't... Like, you brought up Toe Jam and Earl last time, which was one of my favorite games growing up. I would have... And mm-hmm. then I got your book. I bought it, by the way. It's awesome. Everyone should go buy it. I should speak Thank to you. the one fucking negative Amazon review that made my blood boil, and I messaged you about oh. it. And the logic on that Amazon review was like, this motherfucker... The person never read the book, and they're a hater. Obviously. Which just means... Which means I do a really good job of pissing them off, and that just makes me so happy on so many levels like whenever i read that review i'm like that person hates me so much <laughs> they went out of their way that they, and, and the thing is too so many people responded to oh, that bad review he got eviscerated dude people were like what is because it's so obvious he's yeah 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 and then it's just as worse because like they're talking about how like um uh they were talking about i didn't know something about a game and that game is not even in the book it's like it's just so funny it's just it, you it, could tell you, it was when you have triggered. haters it's great yeah yeah I love um, it. I love it. But I got the book. And so you guys check it out on Amazon. Just there's one negative review. Don't care about the review. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I got the first book and I was reading about Toe Jam and Earl and the whole LSD thing. And it was like, yeah. I, as a huge <laughs> fan, like I have Toe Jam and Earl posters. I didn't know who these people wow. were. Right. Yeah. And there's just something. Mm-hmm. About, and I was kind of thinking about that. I'm like, I should know actually. Because if that's what my one of my biggest hobbies are, the thing that I geek out about, I know more UFC fighters than I know gamers, but I'm probably a little bit more in, I mean, excuse me, game developers, but I would say I'm into game, video game history and shit more than I am to UFC. They're pretty close, but I can yeah. name you hundreds of UFC fighters. And so that's, yeah. that's kind of a weird thing. Like there's something about the video game world. Maybe it's like the branding and owners and publishing, right? They want to put the focus on the franchise. Like get all that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's probably what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just they've been conditioned to be that. That way for such a long time i mean that's the reason why activision exists activision started off as a splinter company with a bunch of disgruntled atari employees that wanted to get their names on their carts and they left atari to start activision you know so and sega i mean still to this day people know who phoenix re is she's like you know one of the greatest female developers of all time like we're talking fantasy star altered beast but if you say rico kadama they're like who and it's like that's the name that rico kadama used on instruction manuals phoenix re and she wasn't allowed really to use her real name because sega didn't want her to get poached because she was such a talent you know but all of these guys all used phony names i mean still to this day like there are games as as late as like 1999 2000 2001 where you can't find the people that worked on these games that they don't they don't have linkedin pages they don't have facebook pages it's Mm. just just like that makes your job harder scary it makes my job super hard you know but sometimes i find them sometimes i don't but i mean that's my goal at the end of the day to tell as many stories as possible so i was yeah. listening to a podcast uh called retronauts i'm sure you're familiar with them i guess they're, they're really yeah. big um they were mm-hmm. talking about uh, i was listening to the samurai showdown episode because that was a fighting game that i thought was always really cool and didn't mm-hmm. wasn't as big as i thought it should be and they and they ended up like side railing into some konami stuff because one of the musicians had worked, whatever but i guess konami, konami didn't even start like listing the composers for music and until like way yep. later, it was just written yeah. by Konami, and you wouldn't, you yep. couldn't even have your name in the credits. Yeah, yeah, because they were just they were trying to be protective. You know, they were trying to just make sure that they that they could continue their 
their business, you know, because I mean, that's how competitive it is. Like, there's so many stories. There's a couple of these stories in the minds behind the sports games where it's like, um, you know, um, what, what is it? Minds, uh, not minds, uh, Mutant League Hockey. They got their producer because what happened was the guy from EA knew that this this young producer was really good and he was working at Accolade and he was thinking about leaving. So the guy from EA took him out to a baseball game, bought him a couple of hot dogs, and next thing you know, the guy is off and working for EA. So it's like they knew that if they could get some of these disgruntled employees from other developers and give them a little bit more money and wine and dine them a little bit, that they could that they could bring them over. You know, it's kind of like in wrestling, like the Monday Night Wars. You know, one guy is unhappy on. WWE leaves goes to WCW and becomes a superstar you know or the other way around so there was that was definitely the case and like some of these companies are like up the block from each other around the corner like um in the second book uh, the minds behind the adventure games um dmg and uh, uh this softworks those companies they shared the same food truck so they would come down to eat lunch and they would be eating at the food truck and they would be talking about the games that they were working on so that's how like a lot of these companies have like cross references like some worked on state of emergency some worked on grand theft auto and things like that they all knew what each other was working on and sometimes they ended up leaving one company for the other and the heads of those companies were absolutely not happy with that but you couldn't do anything when you know you've got like a technology district and things like that but like in southern and not in, in silicon valley i mean that was going to happen all the time japan different story they wanted to protect as much as they possibly could um <clears throat> speaking of you've talked you so you brought up wrestling i i think i don't think we were recording when we talked about wrestling at the very beginning mm-hmm. and how yeah. that's kind of sports right would that be considered a sports or is wrestling is like oh um, i think so you think so yeah yeah, absolutely. There's four wrestling games in the minds behind the sports games because, like, even okay. though it's sports entertainment, you know, <laughs> um, it is it is somewhat it based is, on it's a, a real sport. It's yeah, athletic, absolutely. For sure. Cade, I have Rockstar presents ping pong in the minds behind the sports games, and to me, that is probably one of the best sports games of all time. So, so yeah. I think wrestling games definitely belong in the sports category, and especially considering the fact that they come out every year. Um, I have Tony Hawk 3 in the uh, sports book. I have Destruction Derby on PlayStation. In the I was going to ask about Destru- racing, and you can't believe you brought up Destruction Derby. No one talks about that game. It's such a great game, and like this is the thing, too. Um, I love that chapter in the sports game because of the time and energy that went into that game. Like These guys produced beautiful polygonal the, graphics they for, were for the that first game. ones to do car damage like real yes car damage and it was mind-blowing yep. it was beautiful and th- the designer on that game martin edmondson he's a genius he is a genius like i think he's like one of the smartest developers i've ever met in my entire life and the thing is too is he's also the guy that created driver i was gonna and say driver yep driver did it too. such a good game and driver is actually going to be featured in the Minds Behind the PlayStation game. So that's a big so, one. Yeah, people know Driver. Yeah, it's it's bigger than Destruction Derby. I think. Yeah. Like as far and as the thing that sucks is like, oh, Driver. Driver has a good legacy, but like the last Driver game was like the one that was based in like San Francisco got for the PS3. Up, man. Yeah, it did, but it was such a good game. It just didn't. They didn't. They didn't promote it properly. Hmm. You know, like if it would have got promoted a little better. The uh, another thing that Driver did. So Destruction Derby. I wouldn't say real time collision. 
invasions because it was like certain they would be like destruction states it wasn't real time the way they would define real time now but it was real time yeah. back then it was like it felt like dynamic collision and yes and like yes. based on where you got hit the car would crumple that mm-hmm. was mind-blowing and then driver came out did the same thing but it's the first game i remember that had like the photo video editor director mode where you could yes. move the camera around and you could save your clips and that like holy shit to me that was well, see, like, the thing is yeah like like the designer of of the game like i said martin edmondson he wanted to he loved that level of like customization so like he was trying to get a track editor in the first destruction derby uh, i mean the first destruction derby was an amazing game but imagine if it had a track editor oh my god holy shit i would have yeah. never stopped playing you know and the way they accomplished like the damage was these guys actually went to like destruction derby races and they took thousands upon thousands of high resolution photos mm. that's how they got that done that's like old school rotoscoping yes you know animation mixed in with like new age polygonal like 3d technology Th- those guys were like doing cutting edge visual work at the time and they don't get nearly as much credit as they deserve so yeah destruction derby was the shit i I was gonna actually i didn't know they were connected but i was gonna say did you play driver because that's the next game i thought about which makes sense yeah it's the same guy it's the same creator martin martin lee edmondson amazing man amazing man super happy to have met him dang that's crazy. So yeah, racing games would be considered sports games too. Did you ever mm-hmm. play the only? So I got it, I got into a few wrestling games. The first one was mm-hmm. early PS one. I got it close to launch. I had I think this was a launch title WWF WrestleMania. It was like Mortal Kombat style digitized two D graphics, but for PS one. So that's actually in that's in the first book. That's WrestleMania, the arcade game. I actually interviewed the creator of that game, oh, Mark Turmel. The PS1 version is a port. Yeah, I didn't know the that. PS1 That's why I didn't recognize it. Ah, of the arcade game. Yeah. So and that's the, a that's a really fun, wacky, off the wall wrestling game. Super off the wall. I, play, I always played the Undertaker. That was like my my mm-hmm. my dude. Um, and then there was like. The, there were, I'm sure there was multiple ones on the 64, but one of them on the 64 had a character creator. Yes, uh, there's a few of them that have character creators, but um, like um, WC, not WCW, um, WWF WrestleMania 2000 had a character creator, and WWF No Mercy had a character creator. And I actually spoke to the producer of uh, of those games, Sanders Keel, for the book, and uh, he wrote the afterword for the book. So. If you like wrestling games, there's definitely something in there for you. There's four wrestling games featured, um, a couple from Acclaim and a couple from THQ. So it totally captures like the 90s, early 2000s wrestling games, which are the best wrestling games that have ever been created. So if that's like your fix, you can definitely scratch at it in uh, in the book. Nice. Uh, racing games. What do you do? You have any racing games in the sports game books coming up? So the only the only racing game that's in the book is uh, Destruction Derby, and the reason why that is is because like Destruction Derby, like is is an actual sport. Like I wanted to try and get a NASCAR um, game, but it's kind of like every developer that I speak to, like the NASCAR games were never like a lot of fun to develop, and it's just like NASCAR is fun. Like if you're the driver, I myself, I'm not really into NASCAR. Like, it's just, like, racing, like, over and over again. Like, you know, like, in a circle and shit. And 
I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. I apologize, but like, um, I, I highly, tried. I highly doubt a lot of NASCAR fans are listening to this, so I think you're fine. Yeah. But I mean, I tried. I tried to get a couple of NASCAR developers, um, and I didn't receive answers. I tried. I definitely did. But the And I was going to get a need for speed, but then I'm like, those are kind of like adventure racing games like they have like fast and the furious kind of like storylines to it and it's not the same i would have loved to have gotten like ridge racer or rage racer but the japanese developers are super hard to get yeah so the only racing game that i could really get was uh destruction derby so i was happy that i at least got uh that maybe you could find like a like a number one like a sidekick that's japanese or speaks japanese and uh, can maybe approach because as for an American audience, doing what you do, but then getting Japanese. Because I mean, let's be real. At least when I was growing up, the we just considered the Japanese far superior at making games. Oh yeah, like during the PS. Yeah, maybe like uh, maybe sixteen bit era. I felt like fifty fifty, but I definitely yeah. felt after that for a while like anything from Japan was better. See, and that's the thing though too because. The video game industry effectively started in the United States. Like, Atari is an American company, you know? And uh, the Japanese came along a little bit a little bit later. And But there are so many great American and Canadian and European developers out there. Like, England has an amazing history of video game development. The UK, Ireland, you know, Australia too. Like, I, I mean, I know that's not the UK, but it's technically kind of like the UK when you think about it. But like, yeah, I mean, it's Australia tra- has a, it's their trash dump. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but like a great, you're crazy. A I lived great, in Australia for a while. I'm, I, yeah, I get it. Did Did you like it? I loved it. I would. Uh, I wow. in fact, I was like, I'd always tell, my, always tell my wife, like, if we ever get game over, rich, like somehow crazy money. I would go to yeah. Australia because it's this giant ass continent. There's no people. There's only like six big cities. I lived in Melbourne, which is like on the southeast corner, sort mm-hmm. of, of Australia. Yeah. And I, I loved everything about it. I loved everything about it. But right now, yeah. they're in like full martial lockdown. Like people are getting arrested. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, ooh, yeah. maybe I'm glad I didn't go back to Australia. I just shipped like four books there and I keep asking the people if they got them yet. And they're like, yeah, we're probably not going to get them for like another month. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. I yeah. feel terrible. You know, because like I'm in like five or six colleges in Australia, so like I love I love that place. Like they they've got a lot of love for me, so it just sucks that it takes so long. It's this giant continent. I mean, most of it's desert, but there's like 25 mm-hmm. million people total. Wow. It's like L.A. In yeah, it's like just way less people, but you have all the, like the. It's a first world country. When I was there, it was just like it was just plants and animals were different. You drove on a different side of the road, but for the most part, it was the same as here. Mm-hmm. Nice restaurants, yeah. movie theaters, but just less people. Yeah. It was awesome. Everyone's yeah, which chill. Is great. Oh. Yeah, you live in New York. Yeah, I live which in New York like City. So it's, oh, oh my god! Yeah. I don't know how you do it, man. Man, COVID was so bad. It's still bad, but like. I mean, like, March and April, it was just, like... Because going grocery shopping in Brooklyn is bad by itself. And then when you've got everyone scrambling and fighting and stuff, it was just terrible. And it was just, like, my wife was pregnant, so, like, she didn't leave the house. And I have a, a two, I had a two-year-old. She's three now. Two-year-old daughter. And it's just, like, they wouldn't leave the house. And I had to go out every day for, for groceries and stuff like that. And then, like, I was selling books like crazy. So I had to go to the post office and it was just like, man, so it was, it was like Resident Evil outside. It was crazy. <laughs> That's interesting. Like literally like Resident Evil. 
That's interesting that your business, because my business, I have side, like I do online marketing stuff. COVID skyrocketed my business too. Yeah. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, yeah, and I, I'm sure I'm sure video game sales sky. I mean, I've never. I how could they not have skyrocketed? I was talking to a publicist the other day, and she was telling me how you know she represents all these movie stores and how they don't have work and stuff. And I was like, you should shift into gaming, you know. And she had no interest, and I was just like, man, video game industry has not stopped. No. Has not stopped at all. It's like. I'll remember COVID like 20 years from now because I, I watched like every Marvel movie that I missed out on, <laughs> but I'll, but I'll remember it more because like I was playing animal crossing like four or five hours a day because it came out like March 20th, right yeah. before like everything shut down, you know? So that's the thing too. Like I try and explain to people like you play video games and you, re- you remember like the things that were going on in your life when you were playing the game, it's like people love so many people love final fantasy seven, not because it was such a great game, even though it was, but they remember it because they were like at this moment in their lives where like everything smelled better, yeah. everything tasted better, 100%. everything looked better. You're 17, 18 years old. And it's just yes. like you romanticized it, you know? So it's like, if you can keep that memory and then compound it with like the developer's memory, then you have something that's like truly special. Like that's, that's kind of the reason why I do this. It's like providing the cheese to the wine of the memory of the game that you played, you know? Yeah. That's a, I had these guys on from a, a website called stone age gamer. And it was the stone age gamer. Podcast. I love those guys. You yeah. Had Chris and Dan on Chris and Dan. Um, I yeah. think his name was super badass. And Dan has yeah. a separate podcast that he gave up on, but they still have the mm-hmm. episodes hosted. I've been listening to it, which is pairing beer with video games. Yeah. It's yeah. dope. Dan. It's kind of like, awesome. Yeah. He's, they were, they were Dan's like, a mafia member. Yeah. He was hilarious. He, he, I did his highlight. He had this whole rant about being in love with his next door neighbor that had robbed the robot on the mega dr- or whatever. Then NES or Famicom. He wanted to marry her because she was cute and she was in the game. He's hilarious. He has the oh, East Coast kind of like, yeah, yeah, just going off saying, yeah, and this fucking guy, yeah, like all the time. Yeah, he's and, great. And then Chris mm-hmm. is super articulate. I'm super glad they hopped on the podcast. I didn't even. I don't even know how I found them, but the people I've talked people through me because he designed, he designed the logo for the retro game mafia. And then I invited him and you guys all started talking. That's how, that's how you met him. Is that how I found him? Dude, my memory, dude, I smoke too much weed. I I don't, so I remember everything. I'm like a, I'm like a turtle. You know, I remember everything. Um, so anyway, yeah, the idea of like pairing the cheese with the, the wine or the beer, like that, I think that that is, that is awesome. Um, Gaming is this weird. Like, I want to ask you a question. I mean, I, we both sure. play play a lot of games. Obviously, I'm posting videos. Mm-hmm. You're always like posting videos on your on your RG three B fit whatever it is three fifty. Yeah, research. I love that thing. It's great. We're playing mm-hmm. games, but we were talking about nostalgia, that magic time. Like, say Final Fantasy seven. It's less. The game sure. was great, but for so many people, it hits during this time when like. Yeah, things taste like it's this between 11 and 18, maybe. You yeah, have, you have this period where the music, the movies, and the video games are going to hit you at a level that's not going to happen the same way when you're older, and it's yep. going to shape I, who I, you are. I completely agree. Completely agree. It's just like, um, there's been a couple of times like in my 20s and 30s that like I've played a game and just been wowed and just said, like something special is going on here. Yes. You know, like the first time I played the last of us, 
Um, yep, that's one I was going to bring up. Yep. Metroid Prime, Halo 3, Fallout 3, you know? Um, but you get jaded when you get older, you know? You want things to feel a certain way, and then they don't. Or you're just disgruntled, or you settle, mm-hmm. you know? And I just feel like, yeah, 11 to 18, or maybe even, like, now, because, like, people are so much more immature. I would say like 11 to like 25. <laughs> you, you're just, at, you're just at this moment. You're at this moment in your life where you you just like look at things a little bit differently. Yeah. You know, I just feel, I, yeah, I was going to ask, like, it kind of seems like I'm chasing that a little bit and it's never going to quite I think be we the all same. Are. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all are. It's like still, I'm like right now I'm on Instagram talking to you and like we were talking about final fantasy seven and uh, I just, for some reason, decided to look up Red 13. And um, I just posted a picture of him. And I said, my spirit animal. Because <laughs> it was just like, man, when I was a kid, oh, I love that character. He was just so badass. You know, and he wasn't the best character in the game by far. But I couldn't force myself to take him out of my team just because I just loved, loved him. him. Yep. You know, and the cutscenes of him were just beautiful. You know, so he was so wise. That's what I like. Yeah, he's so wise. It reminded me of a lot of Lion King, too. You know, and I was a big Lion King guy when I was a kid. So it was just like having him. But see, that's the thing. So it's like one day I am going to get somebody from Final Fantasy seven. I am going to do an interview with somebody. I'm going to find somebody. And I know that I can because I never thought that I would get the, the level designer of Parasite Eve. And I got him. So it's like, if I could get him, if I can crack in and get somebody at Squaresoft for that game, I can get somebody for Final Fantasy VII. So, like, it's going to happen, and I'm going to have the appreciation that I have for Parasite Eve now, because I'll tell you that story another time, because that book's not out yet, and I don't want to give it away. But, like, I have such a greater appreciation for the team that worked on Parasite Eve and the final project, uh, the final... uh, the final product that is that game now that I've spoken to that man, Charles Panetti, amazing man, super nice. Like I was writing that chapter as my wife was in labor with my second kid. I'm sitting in the waiting room. They won't let me go in because of COVID and stuff like that. And I'm just sitting on my phone, banging out the chapter. Um, but like one day, one day there'll be like a minds behind the RPGs or whatever. Woo! And they'll, uh, they'll sign get a Final up. Fantasy seven sign there. Me up. one day. And that's the thing I want to say too, like, um, by next year, we'll probably have like six books out, and uh, I can't promise what's going to happen next because I mean I've pounded out like six books in three and a half years. That's a lot. We're talking like seven hundred thousand words, you know. In addition to I write for Old School Gamer, um, I run my own entertainment website and reviewfix.com. I uh, I do writing on games, so it's just like, I've done a ton of work in the last three years, so it's like, after the sixth book, I can't promise what's next, but like, the series definitely isn't going to end, but I'm gonna like, think long and hard after that, like, what's gonna be next, and um, it's gonna be balls to the wall, that's all I'm gonna say, after that. Man, if you do a, if you do a JRPG book, I will promote that shit to People will just people will unfollow me because they're so sick of me promoting that shit. I'm gonna try, you know. And it's funny though too because there's a great book out. Um, I, I always forget how to say the guy's last name. It's John Scraspinek or something like that. It's like S Z, you know, P N I A K or whatever. Like a really crazy last name, but he's a super nice guy. 
Um, and he does this book, and it's all like Q and A's with Japanese game developers. But like most of them, like he takes archived interviews that are from like dead magazines and stuff like that, and he compiles them into this mm. big ass, this big ass book. And um, he just talks about how it's like impossible to get Japanese developers, and like the only way that he could put the book together was to like find all of these old gaming journalists and like bribe them to like use their interviews in his book, yes. you know, and it's self-published and stuff, but it's, it's like a really cool piece of equipment. And like, um, I remember there's one interview in there where he was just complaining about how hard it is to get Japanese developers. So that was the thing when I, when Sega agreed to uh, give me Rico Kadama for the Genesis book, I was like over the moon one for Sega to agree. And then two to get like the first lady of, of video game development in there. So, can you give me one second? My wife's telling me sure. there's like some sort of That's okay. legit reason. One second. I'm going to ask you one more question and then wrap up because I guess. Sure. Yeah. I guess my dog's, my brother's dog is lost. He wants me to go help oh, him find shit. it. Which, and we've yeah, are, yeah, no problem. We're at like, mm-hmm. we're pretty, we're pretty long running time anyway. I want yeah, to ask you one absolutely. question. We'll, we'll have you back on. Um, mm-hmm. Out of, so sometimes you, when you get a developer, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, I've been waiting to ask this question. You get a developer, and maybe you're not super familiar with the game, but if you get contact, you'll go and then play the game to kind of prep. Mm-hmm. What game had you not played, then you got a hold of the developer, then you ended up going back and playing because of the book series, and was like, this game is fucking awesome. I, I can't believe I missed it. I can't believe I never played it. Like, the best game you weren't aware of, but because of the books, you ended up playing, and you loved the game. So, um, Cyberball... Um, I was aware of it because everyone talks about how Cyberball was the influence for Madden. Like the um, the behind the back camera view wasn't a camera view that football games employed back then. Like football games always used a side view, like Tech Mobile, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I had played Cyberball on the Genesis before, and I wasn't that impressed with it. And uh, I just kind of like, you know, whatever. Yeah, it influenced Madden, blah, 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 blah. And then um, Don Traeger, who was a producer at EA, he's one of the founding fathers of uh, EA Sports. He's like, you got to talk to the Cyber Bowl guys. And I was like, okay. So before I pitched uh, John Salwitz, who actually created Rampart and Paperboy as well. Um, I mean, he's, he's a great, he's one of the greatest video game developers of, of the 80s. Um, I started doing research on the original version, the arcade version, and the arcade cabinet for Cyberbull is so sexy. It's a double, like double monitor setup. You can play four players football at the same time, and it's like the way the cabinet is set up. Like the t- the teams playing against each other, really, they can't see each other. It's, oh, it's beautiful. that is sexy as hell. It's oh it's, yeah, it was so completely head, ahead of its time. It's like one of the best art multiplayer arcade experiences ever. To the point where, like, pretty much every developer that I speak to that worked at a development company in the late '80s and early '90s, they all had Cyberball machines in their office. Like everybody was playing Cyberball. Mm. So being able to like discover Cyberball um, the way that I did through the interview and then by watching video and seeing like the actual machine and being able to like play the machine and things like that. I mean, that was probably one of my favorite moments of the entire research process of the uh, mind, spine sports games. 
badass. Great way to wrap it up. Um, give everyone a spiel on where they can find you, buy the books, all that stuff. Sure. So um, the book is available wherever fine books are sold, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Indigo, Books A Million. But the best place to buy the book is patrickhickeyjr.com forward slash books. If you do it there, then um, I will ship the book out to you personally. I will sign your copy. Yep. Depending on where you're from, um, I will slip goodies in your book like baseball cards, stickers, the whole nine yards. Um, I just had a guy who was actually one of the lead writers on the Leisure Suit Larry series, like one of the coolest video game series of all time, um, buy the book. And uh, he's from Seattle, so he got some Seattle Mariners baseball cards in there, and he posted a really cool picture on his LinkedIn. So that's the thing. Order directly from from me. You'll get a cooler experience. We'll connect. Um, that's the thing, too. I'm on Instagram at Patrick Hickey Jr., I love talking to people, connecting to people about video games. Um, a lot of the people's stories that, that, that are told to me, um, I listen. And that's how some of the games get in the, uh, get in the book, like games like Star Fox, Croc, um, Zill. Those games wouldn't have gotten in the books unless people really like pitched me hard on them. And like, oh, if you do a shooter book, you got to get Star Fox. If you do an adventure game, you got to get Croc, blah, 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 blah. So, um, Buy the books, interact with me, and you never know. Like One of your favorite games could get featured and get put in one of these books. Sweet, man. I appreciate the time, as always. You are uh, you're like, what's that? Uh, isn't there like a Greek or Roman god that that has like the power of speaking? Like the, the spews, like persuasion? I'm, I'm, maybe it's, That's awesome. You're fucking good at talking. Do a podcast, goddammit. It's funny because somebody that I work with, that's what they call me. That's my that's their nickname for me. They call me Prometheus. I was like, Oh that's my god. Okay. Yes, yes. See, I'm, I'm not like, the only right, one. Okay. I'm not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's like my big sister. I know her for like fifteen years and she's just like, Yeah. She's like, In my phone, you're Prometheus. I'm like, Oh, okay. All right, cool. But check out so. check him out online. I'll put all the applicable links in the podcast. Also check out the hashtag or the account Retro Game Mafia. He handles that. That's where I met Stone Age Gamer. Thanks for the reminder on that one. Uh, there's a <laughs> bunch of cool gaming accounts, collectors, people that are part of that. If you search that hashtag, you'll find a like a grundle of cool gaming content. And uh, we'll have him back on again. Thank you again, man.